and Sherlock Holmes were sitting on the either side of the fire in his forging at Baker Street. As he said, My dear Watson, life is infinitely stranger than anything which the mind of a man could invent. We would not dare to conceive the things which are really mere commonplace of existence. If we could fly out or gently remove the roof, the plannings, the cross-purpose leading to most outrageous result, it would make all fictions with its conventionities most unprofitable. And yet I am not convinced of it, I answered. The case which comes to light in the paper are as rule, bold enough, vulgar enough. We have in our police reports realism pushed to extreme limits and yet the result is neither fascinating nor artistic. Mm -mm. A certain selection and discretion must be used in producing a realistic effect. This is wanting in police report where more stress is laid upon the reports of the magistrate than upon the details which to an observer contain the vital essence of the matter. <laughs> I smiled and shook my head. I can quite understand of it, but here, as I pick up the morning chronicle from the ground, let us put it to practical test. Here's the first heading upon which I come. The husband's credulity to his wife, but I can say without seeing it, there is of course the other woman, the drink, the push, the blow, the bruise, the sympathetic sister, or landlady. <laughs> Indeed, your example is an unfortunate one for your argument. This is the Dundas separation case, and as it happens, I was engaged in clearing up small points in connection with it. The husband was a teetotaler. There was no other woman, but the complaint was that he had drifted into the habit of winding up every meal by taking out his teeth and hurling them at his wife. Mm -hmm. Take a pinch of snuff, doctor, and acknowledge that I have scored over you in your example. He held out his snuff box of old gold with a great amethyst in the center of the lead. Ah, I forgot that I have not seen you for some weeks. It is a little souvenir from the King of Bohemia in return of Irwinander's papers. And the ring? I asked, glancing at a remarkable brilliant which sparkled upon his finger. It was gifted to me by the family of Holland, though the matter in which I serve them is a secret, and I can't even tell it to you, who have been good enough to chronicle one or two of my cases. Hmm. So do you have one in hand right now? I asked with interest. So, 10 or 12, but not of interest. Important? Yes. Interesting? No. But it is possible, however, that I may have something better than before. Very many minutes are over for this one of my clients, or I am much mistaken. He had risen from his chair and was standing between the parted blinds, gazing down into the London street. Looking over his shoulder, I saw that on the pavement opposite there stood a large woman with a heavy fur bow round her neck, a large curling red feather in a broad-brimmed hat which was tilted over her ear. She peeped up in nervous, hesitating fashion at her windows. Suddenly, with a lunge as of a swimmer who leaves the bank, she hurried across the road, and we heard the sharp clang of a bell. I have seen those symptoms before. Oxidation of a pavement always means an affair. 
she would like an advice but is not sure that the matter is not too delicate for communication. Yet, here we may discriminate. When a woman has been seriously wronged by a man, she no longer oxidates. Here, we may take it that there is a love matter, but the maiden is not so much angry as perplexed or grieved. But here she comes. As we spoke, there was a tap at the door. The boy in the button entered to announce Miss Mary Sutherland. Sherlock welcomed her easy courtesy for which he was remarkable and having closed door and bowed her into an armchair. He looked over her in the minute and yet abstracted fashion which was peculiar to him. Do you not find, with your short sight, it is a little trying to do so much typewriting? I did at first, but now I know where the letters are without looking. Suddenly, realizing the full port of his words, she gave a violent start and looked up with fear and astonishment upon her broad, good-humoured face. You have heard of me, Mr. Holmes. Else how could you know all that? Mm, never mind. It is my business to know things. Perhaps I have trained myself to see what other overlook. If not, why should you come to consult me? I came to you, sir, because I have heard of you from Miss Etheridge whose husband you found so easy when the police and everyone had given up for dead. Mr. Holmes, I wish you do as much for me. I am not rich, but I still have a hundred, a year in my own right. I would give it all to know what has become of Mr. Hosmer Angel. Hmm. Why did you come away to concern me in such a hurry? Again, a startled look came over the face of Miss Sutherland. Yes, I did bang out of the house, for it made me angry to see the easy way in which Mr. Windybank, that is my father, took it all. He would not go to the police, and he would not go to you, so at last it made me come right away to you. Hmm. Your father, ah, stepfather, surely, since the name is different. Yes, my stepfather, I call him father though he is only five years and two months older than myself. Hmm. And your mother? Is she alive? Oh yes, mother is alive. And well, I wasn't best pleased, Mr. Holmes, when she married again, so soon after father's death. My real father was a plumber in Tottenham Court Road, and he left a tidy business behind him, which mother carried on with Mr. Hardy, the foreman. But when Mr. Windybank came, he made her sell the business, for he was quite a superior. We get £4,700 for goodwill and interest. I thought Holmes would become tired of listening to such mumbling, but he was not. Your little income, does it come out of the business? Oh no, sir. It is quite separate and was left to me by Uncle Ned in Auckland. Hmm. You interest me extremely, and... Since you draw so large sum as hundred per year with what you earn into the bargain, I believe for a single lady he can get on very nicely upon the income of sixty pounds. I could do with much less than that, Mr. Holmes, because you see, as long as I live at home, I don't wish to be burdened to them, so they have the use of money just while I am staying with them. Hmm. You have made your position very clear to me. This is my friend, Dr. Watson, before 
whom you can speak as freely as before myself. Kindly tell us now all about your connection with Mr. Hosmer Angel. A flush stole over Miss Sutherland's face. I met him at the Gasfitters Ball. He used to send father tickets when he was alive. After his death, my mother receives it. Sir Windybank did not wish us to go. He told me that it would not look good if we go. I was set on going and I would go. He said the force were not fit for us. He also stated that I had nothing fit to wear. When I had my purple plush that I have never taken out of the drawer, at last he went with Mr. Hardy who used to be our foreman and it was there where I met Mr. Hosmer Angel. I suppose that when Mr. Winniebank came back from France, he was very annoyed at you having gone to the ball. Oh, well, he was quite good about it. He laughed, I remember, and shrugged his shoulders. He said that there was no use denying anything to a woman or she wouldn't have her way. Ah, I see. I... I met him twice after that ball, and he also visited our home. But after father returned, he never came. Never? You know, father didn't like unwanted visitors at home, but... How about Mr. Hosmer Angel? Did he make no attempt to see you? Well, father was going off to France again in a week. Hosmer wrote and said that it would be safer and better not to see each other until he had gone. In the meantime, we used to write each other. Hmm. Were you engaged to this gentleman at this time? Oh yes, Mr. Holmes, we were engaged after the first walk that we took. Hosmer, I mean Mr. Angel, was a cashier in an office in Lindenhall Street. What office? I don't know, Mr. Holmes. Where did he live then? He slept on the premises. And you don't know his address? No, except that he was Lindenhall Street. Where did you address your letter then? To the Lindenhall Street post office? To left till called for. He said that if they were sent to the office, he would be chatted by all other clerks about having a letter from a lady that will just show you how fond he was of me, Mr. Holmes. Hmm, it was most suggestive. It has been an axiom of mine that the little things are infinitely the most important. Can you remember any other little things about Mr. Osmer Angel? He was a very shy man, Mr. Holmes. He would rather walk with me in the evening than in the daylight. Very retiring he was, even his voice was gentle because the swelling glance he had. Hmm. Well, and what happened when Mr. Windybank, your stepfather, returned to France? Mr. Hosmer Angel came to house again and proposed that we should marry before father came back. He even made me swear with my hands on the testament. My mother told me that he was quite right to swear as it was the sign of his passion. Then they talked marrying within the week. I began to ask about father. He told me not to worry about father and to tell him afterwards. As I didn't want any misunderstanding, so I wrote to father in Bordeaux at his French office. But he later came back on the morning of the wedding. Ah, it missed him for a little bit. So unfortunate. Your wedding was arranged then for Friday. Was it to be in the church? Yes, sir, but very quietly. It was to be at St. Saviour's near the King's Cross. Hosmer came in a hansom, but as there were two of us, 
he put us into it and stepped himself into a four-wheeler. We waited at the church and when the four-wheeler drove up, we waited for him to step out. The cabman came out of the box and looked there but nobody was there. The cabman said that he would not imagine what had become of him. That was last Friday, Mr. Holmes, and since then there is no news. It seems to me that you have been very shamefully treated. Oh no, sir, it was too good and kind to leave me so. All the morning he was saying to me that whatever happened, I have to be true to him that even if something quite unforeseen occurred to separate us, it seemed a strange talk in the wedding morning. Most certainly it does. Yes, sir, I believe that he foresaw some danger or else he would not have talked so. Hmm, but you have no notion as to what it could have been. None. One more question. How did your mother take the matter? She said that she would never talk of that ever again. And your father, did you tell him? Yes, and he seemed to think with me and told that Hosma would contact me again because Hosma had no reason of running away. Hosma was quite independent about money. Yet, I think what could have happened? I could not hear right. I shall glance into the case for you and I have no doubt that we shall reach some definite result. Above all, let the weight of the matter rest upon me and try to let Mr. Hosmer Angel vanish from your memory. Then you don't think that I will meet him again? Hmm. I fear not. Then what has happened to him? You must leave that question in my hands. I should like an accurate description of him and any letters of his which you can spare. I advertised for him in last Saturday's Chronicle. Here is the slip and here are the four letters of him. Thank you. And your address? Number 31 Leon Place, Camberville. Hmm. Mr. Angel's address you never had. So where is your father's place of work? He travels for the West House and Marbank, the great claret importers of French Charles Street. Thank you. You have made your statement very clearly. Now, you will leave the paper here and please remember my advice. You are a very kind man, Mr. Holmes, but I cannot do it because I am quite true to him. For all the preposterous hat and vacuous face, there was something noble in the simple fate of our visitor. She laid the little bundle of paper upon the table and went her way. Sherlock sat for a few minutes with his fingertips still pressed together in his legs stretched out in front of him and his gaze towards the ceiling. Quite an interesting study. The maiden, I found her more interesting than a little problem. The case, no, it's not that interesting. You will find some parallel if you consult my index. You appear to read a good deal upon her, which was quite invisible to me. Not invisible, but unnoticed, Watson. You did not know where to look, so missed all that was important. I can never bring you to the realize 
the importance of the sleeves, the suggestiveness of the thumbnails or the great issue that may hang from a bootlace. What did you gather from that woman's appearance? Describe it. Well, she had a state-colored, broad-brimmed straw hat with a feather of brickish red. Her jacket was black and a fringe of little black jet ornaments. Her dress was brown, rather darker than the coffee color, with a purple blush at the neck and the sleeves. Take my word, Watson, you are coming along wonderfully. It is true that you have missed everything of importance, but you have hit upon the method and you have a quick eye for color. Well, let me tell you what I observed. My first glance was always at the woman's sleeve. For a man, it is obvious to observe the knee of the trouser. As you observe this woman had plush upon her sleeves, the double line a little above the wrist. Then I had a glance at her face and observed the dent on the either side of the nose. So I ventured a remark upon the short side which seemed to surprise her. <laughs> it surprised me as well. But surely it was obvious. Now, after that, I observed that the boots which she was wearing were not unlike each other. One had buttoned only in two decorated tap and the other a plain one. Now, when you see that a young lady otherwise neatly dressed has come away from home with odd boots, half buttoned, was in a hurry. And what else? I noted that she had written a note after getting fully dressed before leaving home. You did not see that both the glove and the finger were stained with violet ink. Would you mind reading me the advertised description of Mr. Hosmer Angel? I held the printed slip to the light. Missing on the morning of 14th, a gentleman named Hosmer Angel, about 5 feet 7 inch, strongly built, sallow complexion, black hair, a little bald in the center, bushy black side whiskers, moustache, tinted glasses, slightly infirmity, when last seen in black frock coat faced with silk, black waistcoat, gold elbow chain, grey Harris tweed trouser with brown gaiters over elastic boots. That will do. As to the letters, they were very commonplace, absolutely no clue in them to Mr. Hosmer Angel, save that he quotes Blazak once. There is a remarkable point which will no doubt strike you. They are, they are typewritten, right? Not only that, but the signature is typewritten. Look at the neat title, Hosmer Angel, at the bottom. There is a date, you see, but no subscription, which is very suggestive. The point about the signature is very suggestive. In fact, we may call it conclusive. Of what? My dear fellow, is it possible you do not see how strongly it bears upon the case? I cannot say that I do unless if were that he wished to be able to deny his signature. Indeed. Ah, Watson. Give me the pen and the writing pad. I shall write two letters, one to the firm in the city and the other to the young lady's stepfather. 
asking him to meet us at 6 o'clock tomorrow evening. Hmm. And now, doctor, we have nothing to do until the answer to those letters come. I left him then, still puffing at his black clay pipe, with the conviction that when I came again on the next evening, he would have every single information on the missing bridegroom. Next day, I was a bit busy at the beside of the sufferer. I was not until close upon six o'clock that I reached Baker Street. On entering the room, I saw Sherlock half asleep on the armchair. The room was filled with bottles, test tube, with a smell of HCl. Well, have you solved it? Yes. It was bisulfate of Bartha. No, no, the mystery, Holmes. Oh, that. Uh, I thought of the salt that I have been working upon. There was never any mystery. I have dealt with such cases before. You would get a lot of reference like this from my previous cases. So, who was he then? And where did he go? The question was hardly out of my mouth, but Holmes had not yet opened his lips to reply. Then there was a tap at the door. That would be the girl's stepfather, Mr. James Windybank. Come in. The man who entered was a sturdy middle-sized fellow, some thirty years of age, clean-shaved, swallow, skinned, and a pair of wonderfully sharp penetrating grey eyes. Good evening, Mr. James Windybank. I think this typewritten letter is from you, in which you made an appointment with me for six o'clock. Yes, sir. I am afraid that I am little late. I am sorry that Miss Sutherland has troubled you about this little matter, for I think it is far better not to wash linen of the sort in public. It was quite against my wishes that she came. I did not mind you so much as you are not connected with the official police. <laughs> Besides, it is a useless expense for how could you possibly find Mr. Hosmer Angel? Hmm. On the contrary, I have reason to believe that I think I have discovered Mr. Hosmer Angel. Mr. Windybank gave a violent start and dropped his gloves. I, I, <coughs> I, I am delighted to hear that. Mm, it is a curious thing that a typewriter has really quite as much individuality as a man's handwriting. Some letters get worn than the others, and some wear only on this one side. Now, in case of Mr. Windybank, there are some little slurring over the E and slight defect in the tail of R. Like this, there are 14 letters to which I have alluded as well. I cannot waste my time over this type of talk, Mr. Holmes. If you can catch the man, inform me, otherwise not. Mm. Certainly, I'll let you know that I have got him. Sherlock locked the door and sat down. What? Where? Oh, it won't do. There is no possibility of getting out of it. Now, sit down. And let's talk it out. Winniebank sat on the chair all clumsy. Hmm. I am going to tell you 
the story if I am mistaken. Ah, do correct me. You married Mrs. Sutherland for her daughter's money. You were enjoying your life. Mary Sutherland is good looking. So, how many years she would be alone without a person to care and love? But if your stepdaughter got married, then she would live with all the money she has. Now, you could take the obvious step of keeping her at the house and avoiding to meet people. Now, when you saw that it was not working, you developed a character named Osma Angel. You took the help of your wife and as your stepdaughter has a problem of vision, she felt in love with you. I didn't know Mr. Holmes that it would go this far, but it does. From love to marriage, it was required for you to end this drama in such a way that there would be no deep impact on Mary Sutherland. How many days would you lie of going to France? You would make Mary take oath on the holy book that she would not marry anybody else except you. Did I miss anything? Mr. Windybank gathered a little bit of confidence in this meantime. Yeah, it is true. But if you are so brilliant, then I guess you know that it is illegal thing to hold me in this room. I can charge a case against you. Sherlock opens the door. You may leave, but you know if Mary had a big brother, then he ought to lay a whip across your shoulder. In fact, I have one with me. Here it is, Mr. Windybank. No, 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 no! Mr. Windybank ran down the stairs escaping Baker Street. Sherlock kept down his hunting crop and sat on the couch. Scoundrel. He won't stop. Mark my words, Watson. Well, I am still now confused. Well, Mr. Osma Angel was a curious character. Every single clue Watson that I tried in the walking at night was only pointing at one bank, this windy bank. But wait, I mean, how did you become so sure about it? Hmm. I wrote to the firm where windy bank works, giving them the sketch after removing the glasses, the moustache, which was the characteristics of Osma Angel, and my suspicion became true when they said that they have a man working like that. Alright, so now, what about Miss Sutherland? Mm. You know, Watson, if I tell her she won't believe me, there is an old saying, Watson, there is danger from him who takes the tiger's cub and danger also whosoever snatches a delusion from a woman.